0: Well good morning Friendship. Welcome to Friendship Online. So glad again to be worshiping with you this week. We are moving right along. We are coming to the conclusion of First Thessalonians. We're in week number seven of the series called Tomorrowland. We'll have a few more chapters to come as we work into Second Thessalonians but man, what an important book uh, for us to be looking at right now. And as we kind of come to the end of 1 Thessalonians, we come into chapter 5, and Paul begins to stress the importance of relationships. This week, we're going to look at right relationships in the church, part 2. Now, one might ask the question, why is Paul, why is he talking so much about our relationships with one another in the church? Why is this so important? Well, you need to think about who Paul is writing to. Again, he's writing to a young church, a a group of people who are very young in their faith. And what is true is that when any of us are transformed by putting our faith in Christ, we come into a relationship with God the Father, we become His sons and His daughters, our identity changes. It it makes a huge shift. Our identity begins to revolve around the person of Jesus and the people of God the family of God, we become part of a new household, a household of faith. The thing that marked Jesus was the way that He loved, the way that He loved people. He was full of grace and He was full of truth. And the thing that marks us as the people of God is love. It's it's grace and it's truth. That's what sets us apart. And this is especially true in times of uncertainty and affliction. You see, the more that we come together, even though we're physically farther apart than maybe we've ever been, the closer we come together, the more united we become spiritually and relationally, the more connected we are, the more that we grow. So there is a chance that even though we're not seeing each other in person very much right now, there's a, there's, there's a possibility, I think a very real possibility, that we can grow closer together. We become more united together and so grow in our faith. And the closer we grow together, the more united we become as the the body of Christ, the more that outsiders, those who are outside of the faith, outside of Jesus, the more that they're able to see and believe. This is what happens when relationships in the church are healthy and they're the way that God intended them to be. There's no better way to prove that you belong to God, that you are a Christ follower, than by how you relate to others. And so last week we talked about the relationship in the church between people and pastors, all of us and our spiritual authorities. And we kind of expanded that application to talk about authority in in general. But you know, as, as people of God, what God has called us to be is a people in submission to His authority. And so last week we talked about our response to authority, in particular spiritual authority. I hope that you spent some time really evaluating because our response to spiritual authority in the context of the church is important. We need spiritual leaders. We need to recognize their calling, respect them for their work, and we need to rest in their leadership. This is important to a body that is unified, but it's not just all about the leadership. This week, we're gonna talk about the relationship, people to people, all right? Our, our relationships with one another. How do we relate to others in the body of Christ? That's what we're gonna talk about today. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes this, "'We urge you, brothers, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And the first thing I want you to notice is in verses 13 and 14, the verses we looked at last week, Paul starts out by saying, hey, We ask you, brothers, and, and then he begins to talk about how we respond to spiritual authority. We ask you, brothers. But he, he, he changes his request here when he talks about people-to-people relationships. Look again what he says. He says in verse 14, not we ask you, brothers, but what? We urge you, brothers. We urge you, brothers. And so that word urge even means there's like this sense of urgency, right? It's not just this kind of, hey, hey this is what I'm asking you to do. There is, some, there is some urgency, some importance to this request. We're urging you, brothers, to play your part interpersonally amongst one another. I'll call it this. We have some personal, interpersonal responsibilities, okay? We have these personal, every, in other words, every single one of us has a personal responsibility to, to live out these, these things interpersonally with, with one another, And so, yes, we need strong spiritual authorities, and we need to esteem them highly and rest in their leadership, but half of the equation here in a healthy body is our relationships with one another, people to people. You know, it's not easy to get along, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it for ourselves. It's worth it for the church. It's worth it for those who are outside of the faith. And so Paul, he goes through five statements here. The first one is this. He says, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. And last week, as we talked about the responsibility of spiritual leaders, it was to labor, it was to lead, and it was to admonish. And so we looked at this word, that one of the responsibilities of of pastors and spiritual leaders is to admonish, to warn, but it's not just the responsibility of the leader or leaders. It's all of our responsibilities. It's it's to admonish, it's to warn. Another way to say this is, is to admonish the idol, is to warn the unruly or to warn the disruptive or the irresponsible. Okay, when we think of being idle, we think of being kind of like standing still or not doing anything, not active or lazy. And so when Paul uses this this idea of the idol and so admonish or warn them, he's talking about problem people. Alright, he's talking about lazy busybodies who meddle in everybody else's business. This is what Paul is referring to. And There's not necessarily evidence that this was taking place in the Thessalonian church, but Paul was warning them and he was saying, this is your responsibility. If you are going to continue to maintain health in the church, in the body of Christ, you've got to admonish the idol. And the picture here was, you know, a soldier who steps out of line, a soldier who behaves disorderly. There's got to be this correction. There's got to be an admonishing or a warning to get back in line, to get back in order. And so Paul was saying it's the job of the leaders to look out. And when they see folks steering off of the straight and narrow to help bring them back, to admonish them, to warn them. But he also says it's all of our responsibilities to speak truth one to another in love to get us all back on track. To admonish is not just a pastoral responsibility. It's a people of God responsibility. It's for all of us. Now, lest any of us be confused about, about who we're speaking of when we talk about the idle or the irresponsible or the disruptive, I, I want to read a quote to you from a guy named Mark Howell, a pastor who wrote a commentary exalting Jesus in First and Second Thessalonians. And he said this, Today, the irresponsible or the idle take on many forms from the gifted pew sitter who never gets involved to the opinionated busybody who criticizes everyone. These are the ones who threaten to withhold their tithe when they get upset, seek to undermine the authority of their leaders by stirring up dissension, refuse to use their spiritual gifts while critiquing those who do, and show up for business meetings, but not for worship. Thank God we don't do business meetings. Amen. Amen. Since the irresponsible have the potential to undermine God's work and to divide the fellowship, they must be warned. Considering the danger that these individuals pose to an infant Thessalonian church, we can see why Paul urgently exhorted the church to deal with these people. Paul had to address this. Paul had to warn them and say, you got to deal with these people in order to keep the unity of the faith, in order to keep the witness of the church. Leaders need to speak into it, but you all need to speak into one another's lives if we're going to do this. And one of the examples I think of, you know, I think of of, of some of the best sports teams, all right? Last week, maybe you watched the nfl draft or maybe you peeked at parts of that maybe you're you're like i am you're eager for sports to start back up football to come here soon maybe i don't know maybe you're as you're trying to pass the time you're digging into the last dance this espn documentary series on michael jordan and the 97 bulls let's be honest it's about michael jordan right his last run really one of the best teams in my generation Um, but the best sports teams what you notice they all have in common is not just strong leadership, not just strong management or coaching, but they have strong locker rooms. What that means is you have strong, strong leaders in their locker room, strong veterans um, on that team that don't just depend on the quote unquote leadership to keep things under control. No, they have strong veterans and strong players who police themselves. They have the maturity and the understanding and um, the love for one another in their team to police themselves. They don't have to depend on coaches to do that. And that's the same thing in the body of Christ. It's not just about having strong leaders who are going to step in when things are going sideways or when they see something that is concerning. A strong church is full of Mature followers of Christ who see stuff and go, I love Jesus and I love his church and I love our church. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to go to my brother. I'm going to go to my sister and love and try to speak truth to them for their sake and for our sake. For the sake of the mission of God, I'm going to do something. I'm going to admonish the idol. Y'all, again, that's not just my responsibility that's not just a pastoral responsibility that's a people of god responsibility it's for all of us in fact let me read from ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 it talks about the 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 reason for leadership in the church and then the responsibility of the people in the church ephesians 4 verse 11 god gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. God has given leaders to the church to help equip us for ministry so that we could be united in the faith and so that we could be united in the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, could we as leaders do a better job of equipping you? Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. But our job is to help equip you and for all of us to become united in the faith. Verse number 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint from, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So God gives to the church this gift of spiritual leaders to help equip the body the, the help equip the saints so that for ministry so that we could become mature in our faith so that we would grow together and be united in our faith no longer spiritual children but united speaking the truth to one another in in love in Christ so that we can represent Christ to a watching world and the reality is when some people see this they go speak I am just speaking the truth in love Like that gives us license to tear down and to demean and to prove our point and that we are right. And that's not what Paul says here. He says, speaking the truth in love so that the body is built up so that we can build ourselves up. The body builds itself up in love. So admonish the idol. And here's the truth. Sometimes you are the idol. Sometimes you are the one who is idol and you need to be admonished. And I want to plead with you. Maybe you need to admonish others. Maybe there's times where you need to be admonished and you need to receive the admonishment. The idol must be admonished for their own good, for the unity of the body and for the witness of the church. Here's the second thing. That Paul says, he says encourage the faint-hearted. Now, the faint-hearted, when when Paul refers to this, we're talking about the worried, the, the fearful, the discouraged, those who who have maybe lost their joy because life's pressures have, have stolen their joy. It's the faint-hearted. We get that because sometimes you and I are the faint-hearted. We're worried, we're fearful, we're discouraged. And Paul says the responsibility to one another is simple encourage the faint-hearted, encourage. We talked about this two weeks ago. That means to put courage into those who are faint-hearted, who are worried and anxious, put courage into them. We said a couple weeks ago, the way, the best way that we encourage others, we encourage them through our presence and through our listening and through our love, but very practically and, and very concretely, the way that we encourage others is we remind them of eternity. And we remind them of their identity and we remind them of their destiny. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so it's all about coming alongside those who are faint hearted and encouraging them. That is a responsibility that we have one to another. Because again, at times you will be the faint hearted. Maybe right now you are the faint hearted and what you need more than anything is for somebody to come up alongside you and encourage you. Church, I'm talking to y'all. That's our responsibility to one another. But maybe you are the faint hearted right now and nobody else knows it. Nobody is going to come alongside you unless they know that you are worried and anxious and discouraged. And so you need to reach out. Reach out to, to your friends. Reach out to others. Put a prayer request on our prayer wall, friendshipwire.com prayer. Let us know. We can come alongside and pray for you. But that is our responsibility. People to people, one to another. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Number three, Paul says, help the weak. Help the weak. Now, who are the weak? Who is Paul talking about here? Well, what he's saying is he's saying those who lack strength, not physically, but, but spiritually, those who are weaker in the faith, those, those who are lacking spiritual strength, they may be immature in the faith. He says, help the weak. This, this word help has the idea of laying hold of them or holding firmly to them. It's kind of like being a support for them. Help those who are, are weak weak. Hold on to them and hold them up. Support them. It doesn't matter how young you are in your faith. Paul was writing to a young, you know, a church that was young in their faith. And he said to them, Help the weak. Because even though they were only, you know, a mile down the road, there was somebody who was only a quarter mile down the road that they could look back and help spiritually, maturity wise. Help the weak. Don't run on ahead of them and leave them behind. Help the weak. You you may not think you're strong. You may think I'm weak, but you are strong to someone. And at the same time, you are weak to somebody else. And so this interpersonal responsibility we have to one another is to help the weak. In Romans chapter 15, 1 to 3, Paul says this. We who are strong have a what? We have an obligation we have an obligation. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up for Christ did not please himself. Man, these are strong words. This may be the verse that you need to memorize this week, that I need to memorize, because what we tend to do, again, as as Human beings, as sinners, is we tend to do only what pleases ourselves. And what Paul is saying is don't live for yourself. You're part of a family. You're part of a body. This isn't all about you. This is about living for others. This is about building others up. And so if you are strong, if you have any degree of strength, help those who are weak. Help them we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to bear them up and to, to help them and to strengthen them because Christ did not please himself. He is our example and he did the same thing for us. While we were still sinners, while we were weak, while we were dead, in fact, in our sins, Christ died for us. He served us. He stooped down and met our greatest need. Help the weak. Here, here's a fourth thing, and this kind of builds on, again, what we just saw. He says, be patient with everyone. Be patient with, with all, with everyone. I don't think this this... This statement needs a lot of explanation, right? What does it mean to be patient? We all know what it means to be patient. If you ever ask God to give you patience, you realize that's the worst thing you can ask Him for, because He will automatically put difficulties in your life to create patience in you. He has a, a way of, of 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 making us wait and depending on Him and building patience into us. We don't have to ask for it or wait very long. But to be patient, here's here's a way that I picture this. It's to have a long fuse. It's to have a long fuse. I think about if you've ever watched any of the old, like, Either the old show or the, the movies, the Mission Impossible series, where there's that fuse that's burning and it's you know, slowly weaving its way and you're wondering when you know, that spark is going to like explode and there's this long fuse, right? This is what it means to be patient. It means at the, at the first sign of difficulty or um, challenging circumstances or difficult people, you don't blow your lid. Right? That's a short fuse when it takes something. And we and I get it, we have our mornings or our days or our times when we have a short fuse. And we have to repent of that. But what should characterize us in our, in our interpersonal relationships in the church, in the family of God, is that we would be patient with everyone, not just our favorites not just our people, not just our circle, but with all, with everyone, that we would have a long fuse. We don't blow up with challenging circumstances or difficult people. Because again, we all have difficulty with patience. We all have it. And it, and it rears its ugly head in different scenarios for, for different people. Maybe it comes out for you, In traffic maybe it comes out for you with you know your kids maybe it comes out for you with your spouse maybe it comes out for you when you're shopping maybe it comes out for you when you see anything politically oriented I don't know when it is maybe it's all of the above in which case you probably have a short fuse all right Um, you know when it expresses itself for me when I get when I when my impatience shows itself when I'm dealing with stupid people, <laughs> okay, and I just, I say that jokingly because that's most of us how we think and how we feel, and the reality is we're, the, we're the, all the stupid people. We're all the ones who others get impatient with, right? Be patient with, with everyone. Exodus 34, there's a description that we see of, of God. It says, Verse six, the Lord passed before him, passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God is a judge and he is all about justice. And yet he is a God who is merciful and gracious and He is slow to anger. He is patient with all. He is patient with all. In fact, the New Testament says that He is, he is slow to judgment because he, he is not willing that any should perish. He wants all of us to come to repentance. And so He's, he's waiting. He is Patiently waiting. Why doesn't God squash oppression and all injustice in the world? It's It's because of His patience. He's waiting for us to come to faith in Him. Those who have never put their faith in Jesus, He doesn't want us to experience His wrath. No, He wants us to experience His grace. And so He's withholding His wrath because He doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants all to come to repentance. This is who God is and how he has dealt with us. He is patient with us. And so Paul, he urges us in our dealings with one another to be patient, slow to anger with all. James talks about this in James chapter 1 as well, not being... And not being quick or swift to, to anger, but man, we're slow to anger. We're slow because the anger of man does not work. Righteousness, the righteousness of God. And so be patient with everyone. Last thing, number five is this. He says, refuse to retaliate, refuse to retaliate, but seek the good of every person. Refuse to retaliate, but seek the good of every person. He said, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay, so refuse to retaliate. Because hurt people hurt people. When you and I get hurt, our natural inclination is to hurt, is to hurt back, is to hurt in return. Hurt people hurt people. Somebody's got to stop the cycle. And Paul says it's you in the church, you follower of Jesus. Our responsibility with one another is not to seek to retaliate, not to seek to return evil for evil, but to seek the good of every person, to seek the good. You know, we want to get even and we think it will make us feel better if we get even, if we hurt the person who has hurt us. And yet it never Satisfies us. It never does what we think it's going to do. It makes us feel worse. And we perpetuate the cycle of pain and hurt. And Paul says, no, we must pursue only what is good for everyone. Only what is good for everyone, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. Not just those who deserve it, but everyone. Not just the people that we agree with, but everyone. What, y'all, can you imagine with me, what would the church look like if every single one of her people, when we get hurt, rather than seeking to hurt and retaliate in return, what if seeking to lash out, what if seeking to come against and to, 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 to prove ourselves and to be heard and to, to bring others down? What if we refused to retaliate and we sought the good of others, even the ones who hurt us, even the ones who did us wrong? Because you know what? This is how Jesus deals with you. That even when we spit in his face, even when we sin, even when we intentionally go against what he has said is good and right in our life, even when we do that to him and sin blatantly against him, knowing full well what we are doing, even then God loves us and is patient with us. And he still stretches his arms out wide in grace and welcomes us back with repentance. Like the, like the father of the prodigal son, he runs to us to embrace us. And he doesn't retaliate. He doesn't return evil for evil. Because if that were the case, you and I would be long gone. You and I would be in a heap of mess and... Paul says, no, no, refuse to retaliate, but seek the good of every person. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. This is what the scriptures say. Here is the truth. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Here is how we... See maturity in others. And here's how we know that we have reached a level of spiritual maturity is when we can allow vengeance to belong to God. And we don't have to take it upon ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves right. We don't have to prove others wrong. We can leave that in God's hands. Because God himself says, Getting even, that doesn't belong to you. Vengeance doesn't belong to you. Proving that you are in the right and not in the wrong, that does not belong to you. Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. And so would you surrender that? Take your hands off and put it in my hands because that's where it belongs. Vengeance is mine. Here's what belongs to you. You seek to do good for everyone. You seek the good of everyone. So the application today. Here's here's what I want to ask you to do. The same thing I asked you to do last week. Number one, prayerfully consider Paul's instructions about relationships. What Paul says here, I I want you to prayerfully consider what he says. That our relationships, people to people, exactly what he says in verses 14 and 15. Again, write out these verses, memorize them, meditate on them, consider Paul's instruction. And then number two, prayerfully evaluate your relationship with others in this church. Prayerfully consider or prayerfully evaluate your relationships with others in this church. And not just authority, but people to people. What do your relationships look like? And then number three, okay, you prayerfully consider what Paul said, prayerfully evaluate how you're living in relationship to others in this church. And then number three, prayerfully submit to God's conviction. Prayerfully submit whatever God says to you to do do it prayerfully submit here's some questions let me give give you some questions some really practical questions to consider as you evaluate who do I need to admonish who do I need to warn is there somebody that is idle or disruptive or that is that is irresponsible right now that I have a relationship with that I need to admonish Who do I need to admonish? Who do I need to encourage? Is there somebody faint-hearted? Is there someone discouraged around you that you need to reach out to and encourage? Or maybe you are the discouraged and you need to do something to reach out so that others can come alongside and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Who do I need to encourage? Who do I need to help? Who do I need to help? Is there someone weak, someone that's weaker in the faith that you need to reach out to and, and be a help to, to be a support to? Who do I need to be patient with? Who do I need to be patient with? Or, or maybe in, in that vein, you need to apologize because of your impatience with them. And then a, a, a last one. Who's good, who's good do I need to seek rather than retaliating against them? Whose good do I need to seek rather than retaliating against them? And maybe this is not somebody that you've outwardly retaliated against or somebody that you've outwardly done something against, but only inwardly. That is just as important to deal with, to deal with whatever is in your heart, whatever retaliation or sin is in your heart. Would you repent? That means run away from your sin and to run to God. In faith, repentance and faith, if the watching world is going to see Christ in us, it's going to be in how we love one another. It's going to be how we relate to one another. John 13, 35, I I feel like we keep beating this drum, but it's so important. And I I feel like this is the mantra that Paul is, is proclaiming throughout this book. John 13, 35 Jesus says this by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you have love for one another, it's not about our knowledge or our understanding or our wisdom or our charisma or our singing or our preaching. No, it's none of those things. It's by our love, how we love one another. That is how the world, the watching world, is going to see Christ in us. It's going to be through our relationships with one another, people to people, the body of Christ, the people of God in his church, how we love one another. Here's the bottom line I want to leave you with today. When our relationships in the church are right, it affects everything and everyone. When our relationships in the church are right, when they are healthy, it affects everything and it affects everyone. But when they are not right, it infects everything and everyone. Any of us, any one of us, when our relationships within the church are not right, it infects Everything and everyone, it spreads like a virus and needs to be killed. It needs to be squashed. And the way that we make our relationships right is not by distancing ourselves, not by getting further apart, not by avoiding. Okay, I get that we need to do that in this time of quarantine, but we don't, to make relationships right in the church, we don't quarantine ourselves and get away no we run to we run to one another we run to the issue at hand and we come in humility we come with grace and we come with love and we speak the truth in order to build one another up in order to find unity in the faith because it affects all of us it affects God the body of christ the family of god and it affects those who are outside of the faith it affects everyone it infects everything when our relationships are not right and so can i ask you today as your pastor would you evaluate your relationships in this church and maybe you could say praise god i think i i believe god has given me his his, his thumbs up, His seal of approval, things are good. I'm, as, uh, to the best of my knowledge of my ability, I'm living in right relationship with others. But if God brings anything to your heart, if God brings anything to your mind, would you deal with Him on that? And if you need help, would you reach out to us? We would love to help you. Lord, this morning, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your kindness as always. The reminder that you are patient with all of us. You are slow to anger. God, that you don't repay us evil for evil, but you seek our good always. And God, ultimately, you want those outside of the faith, those who are outside of Christ, you want them to see the goodness and the glory of God through our love for one another. And so, God, I pray that even this morning, today, this week, that you would do big business in us and in your people and in our hearts, that you would help us wrestle with and wrestle down any sin that might be in us. And so, God, I I pray that you would help us all in this, that you would purify your people You would purify your church. You would purify friendship. And so would you give us the courage and the boldness and the wisdom to step forward in faith? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.